So here's the thing, entrepreneurs, leaders, salespeople, we all want to create consistent, repeatable, and scalable ways to grow our business and our income. And we want to do it better, faster, and more seamlessly. Why? So we can actually enjoy our lives, take vacations, and spend the quality time we want with the people that we love. How do we do all this without spending a fortune or running ourselves ragged? That's the big question, and this show is dedicated to the answer. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. You've probably heard that the real estate market is, well, bananas, completely on fire. Um, as we sit here today, most of you know that there are actually more real estate professionals working than there are homes for sale. That's a startling number. And we also know that there's nearly 4 million buyers that desperately want to buy a home and there simply is not enough inventory for them. I would call that pressure. Pressure. Think about that word. So there's pressure for you to get your buyer's offers accepted. There's pressure not only to win the listing, but heck, to like get it at the right price, the right terms, and, and ultimately the right fee. There's pressure to get the deal together and not lose your income in the process. There's pressure to even win an appointment. There's, there's just so much pressure in the market right now. So I've asked the guy who has a very different perspective on pressure to join us on this podcast. You know him, Chris Voss the world-famous FBI hostage negotiator uh, turned incredible author of this book, which I'm sure you've bought and read and listened to multiple times and maybe checked out his masterclass. Chris has you know, become an author, a trainer, uh, the CEO of the Black Swan Group. He's done so much to help so many become a better negotiator. So Chris, you, uh, you ready for some pressure today? Yeah, let's see what we could do. Huh? What's the old phrase? Pressure makes diamonds. Pressure always makes diamonds. That's right. So we also have Jeff Mays. If you're if you're watching, you see his smiling face. Otherwise, you're going to hear his voice. Jeff's been on a lot of podcasts, so Jeff, they know who you are. Let's just jump right in. So, so Chris, I was thinking about our our last podcast, and the the sort of the thought that I wrote down that's going through my head is, in your world, is there been any new distinctions, any any new things uncovered about negotiations? It's it's my favorite question. Like, what have you learned about negotiations since we talked last? Yeah, I think uh, you know. I don't know how much we talked about proof of life last time. The favorite of the fool. If uh, if you don't, you know, the phrase is, if you don't know who the fool in the game is, it's probably you. Um, you know, I had no. I we really had no idea how how. Uh, appropriate that is to negotiations, business opportunities, real estate agents uh, seeking to work for clients. I mean, uh, when you understand really what the buyer's journey is, you know, the client's journey in making a decision, it really changes the game entirely. And uh, uh, for example, if you just fire bad clients before you ever get them, your life is going to be a lot easier. True, 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 true. So, so I, I heard you, but didn't hear the first part. What did you call it again? Proof of life or the proof, proof of life? Yeah. So what does that mean? What, what does that, that mean? mean? Right. So in hostage negotiation, uh, there were two issues. If we were speaking to purported kidnappers, number one, do they have the hostage at all? And number two, do they intend to release them to you? Do they intend to make a deal with you. And in the private sector, um, are they, are they looking for a deal and are they looking for the deal with you? Now they, they might just be looking to kick the tires, not change out of the status quo. Um, a, a lot of people, you know, they want to list their home on one of these websites, which means they're not looking to go with any agent. 
But mm-hmm. that doesn't mean they're not going to pump you as an agent for a lot of information. Right. So are right. they looking for a deal? Now, the second issue is, let's say they're looking for an agent. In a decision journey, by the time they talk to you, you are either the favorite or the fool. In either case, there's no reason to cut your fee. Like real estate agents that do their job are a bargain. They are worth their right. weight in gold. In, in, a, in, in a business sector, a finder's fee is 10%. You bring somebody a deal, you help them consummate the deal. Yep. You know, you made it happen. That's 10%. Uh, real estate agents, what are they getting? Five, six percent if they get both yeah. sides, depending right. upon the environment. I mean, yep. at full fee, a real estate agent is a ridiculous bargain. So again, whether or not you're the favorite of the fool when you interact with a client, you, you, you got no business cutting your fee as a first move. Yeah. And that is, and if they pick you, if they, if they pick you or not, it ain't going to be because of your fee. So you were, you know, cutting your fee is just cutting your own throat. They may have already decided to give you the business. So they may test you sure. to see if you'll cut the, your fee. Like, even though I want you, you want to, you want to charge me less. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a chance to charge me less. Yeah. But if I want you in the first place, it's for other reasons other than the fee. And that's so proof of life is, I, is what that is. Yeah. I, I understood it when you said it, but I wanted to get the business understanding of it. And that was, okay, so we're going to, for my friends that are listening or watching right now, we're going to do a bunch of role plays today, kind of continue on with what Chris and I did, what I think is now like maybe a year and a half ago. Um, but I want to go a different direction first. So I asked you kind of what's new and we'll, we're going to circle back into that. I wrote down this question thinking about you this morning, like how much negotiating is done in a family business, you know, and, and you, you know, your son works with you. I've worked with my pops. I work with my wife. We, you know, I've got people that are family that aren't blood family. How much negotiation is done in that scenario? What have you learned for the person that's listening right now that works with their spouse who, you know, has some logical negotiation strategy they're trying to use. And they're like, honey, if you don't do it, like, you know, you're sleeping on the couch. What, what have you learned to help people in these family businesses negotiate on behalf of, for, and sometimes against the people they love the most? Yeah, well, um, uh, anytime you're trying to influence somebody's thinking, you're in a negotiation. Because if you're trying to influence their thinking, you're trying to influence an action. Action is time. Time's a commodity. That's the most common commodity in negotiations is time. Occasionally, there's money. But most people think just because money's on, if money's not on the line, it's not a negotiation. If you're trying to get somebody to take an action to change their mind to do something different, you're in a negotiation, period. Yeah. Now, um, family, uh, it takes longer to sink in. Um, Like, you know, my son who runs my business, you know, he wants me to to get me thinking. We use negotiation skills on each other all the time because our heart's in the right place. The real issue is intent. Yeah. You know, I'm, I, but I mean, you need to think about it overnight. I certainly know if I'm trying to influence his thinking, I got to give him space to think about it. Probably more space than I might need to give to somebody who's not so close to me. Yeah. So it's, it's the same. It takes more patience with family because, you know, family relationship is a convoluted relationship that extends anywhere from 20 to 60 years, depending upon how long right. the two of you have been together. So that just means it just takes sometimes a little longer to sink into the neural circuitry. Right. So I think patience 
it's using one of the things I'm going to ask you in a minute is like, what are the five to six like essentials? Like, you know, getting ready. Yes. And getting to know, but Jeff, before I jump in all that, you got a question for Chris? I'm sitting there. You wrote down, uh, you know, uh, the time is so important. I think that real estate agents don't view their time as that important. <laughs> they don't look at it that way. And uh, like, how, how, what, 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 what can we do to like, you talked about confidence a little bit. It's more about, I love what you said. You know, the first move is not giving away your commission. And I think that's where agents usually go to. So what can they do to not give away that commission right off the bat? Yeah, well, um, you know, you, you start, you pivot away from commission right away. You start to, you start to ask about, you know, what are you trying to get out of this? I mean, how, how did you and I get into this conversation in the first place? Um, you you want to begin to have a deeper understanding of them to understand what they're really after. Now, now there there may be a commission issue as a last resort, right? But They've already, uh, if, you, if you look at any data on people's decision journey, they've collected a lot of information. You know, they've collected a criteria. They've collected a list of favorites and people they really want to go with. And that's influenced by a ton of stuff other than price. Do they know you? Does a trusted advisor know you? You know, you, you need to really understand how you got into this conversation in the first place. Before you start making changes. Yeah. And, and, and they want to tell you, you know, they just want to know whether or not they're wasting their time telling you. So is and it a little what, bit more like, tell, tell me more, tell me more asking those kind of questions. Where are you coming yeah. from? Tell me more. Yeah. You know, really it's mostly, um, uh, it's mostly keyed around how questions to start with how and what, yeah. I mean, tell me more is a well-intentioned phrase. But you can you can wordsmith those words to put in a little more deference, because tell me more by definition is a command. Tell me more is a sentence that ends with a period that is a command. And there's great power in deference and the higher level talent wants the power and influence that deference brings. Whereas commanding tends to be people a little more insecure. Right. Want to command because they're they're control freaks. They're afraid of being out of control. The power movers understand the secret to gaining the upper hand that a negotiation is giving the other side the illusion of control. And how and what questions give the illusion of control to the other side. So how do we get into this conversation? What are you looking for? Or two, <laughs> two questions. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. All right. I'm going to go a different direction. So. Chris, I, I asked a bunch of our top clients, some of the great team leaders in the US and Canada and Mexico about some of the struggles they were facing and where they could use some, some Chris Voss-isms if there, if there was such a thing. And the thing that kept being brought up was, we feel like we're, we're really good salespeople. We went from this solo entrepreneur to now running a team of two, five, 10, 50, 100, 200. And, and they recognize that every day they are in a negotiation with people on their team, negotiating for the salesperson to do their job, for them to use the software that the company has provided, to, to do all the tasks that are required to have a successful real estate transaction. And, and the, the note that they asked is like, what advice do you have for leaders 
looking to negotiate more greatness from their teammates? Yeah, um, short answer is going to be less direction, more inspiration. And inspiration through getting people to think for themselves based on your guidance as opposed to telling them the answer. Now, a real, uh, um, uh, real bad habit for a leader, because they know what should be done, is to tell somebody what to do. Like, yeah. look, let me sh- let me shorten your learning curve here. I've been down this road before. Do this, and you're trying to get people to succeed sooner. Yeah. Problem is, um, the mental downloading of the knowledge as a result of direction is inefficient. Like if you want to tell somebody to do something and have them get it a long time ago, I couldn't tell you the source of this data, but for it to sink in, you got to tell them 19 times. Yeah. There's a a whole bunch of reasons why a lot of time, a long time ago, Ronald Reagan said, if you're explaining, you're losing. Mm -hmm. Now guiding them to that seems highly inefficient. Because, you, look, let me tell them once and they'll have it, and I may have to guide them two or three times. Right. But two or three times is not as many as 19. Right. And that's why great management of people, great leadership of people appears to be highly inefficient. But if you guide them once they, once they get it, they got it. You know, they feel like they discovered it themselves. And then it bakes into the brain much more quickly and effectively. And you, it's a, it's the delay that saves time. Interesting. Interesting. Telling is not selling. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, I like it. It's, it's, it's inspirational. Hey, let's reimagine what it would look like. You know, tell yeah, me what you saying that will right. light somebody's brain up a little bit. Right. Now they're thinking that's what you want. Yeah. You want them to yeah. think. Yeah. Love it for all my team leaders out there. I hope you're paying attention. That was for all of you. So, so Chris, I was thinking, it would be awesome if we could do a few minutes before we could jump into a bunch of role plays and scenarios, which like the last time we did that podcast, people just ate that up. They were just more of this, please. Like we just want to hear how he handles all these different real world real estate scenarios for us. Yeah. But, I, but I thought maybe for the person that's listening for the first time that maybe it's the one person in sales who has not read your book and they need to go buy it today and you know cross that off their list. Um, if there was like five or six or seven Chris Voss essentials, I think of the FM DJ voice and, you know, getting to the no, getting to that's right. And feeling understood, like all these things that have always resonated for me in your message, but I want to flip it to you and just say, take like as much time as you want. Just give us like, what are the five to six things every person has to understand now that you've written this book and trained a gazillion people? Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, I mean, let the other side talk first, you know, let, let them go first. You know, there are a lot of people for a variety of different reasons that feel like if they're not speaking, they're out of control. They're afraid of what the other side's going to say. They're not speaking. They don't feel like they're connecting. You know, the the feeling of speaking with someone makes them feel like they're connecting. And if they're not talking, they don't feel like they're connecting. When in fact, the opposite is true. Uh, The other side feels like they're connecting when they're talking with you, to you, that you're listening. So... Let the other side go first. And we, we had a phrase in hostage negotiation, you know, what's it going to take to get the hostage taker to come out? He'll tell you. Which means you get the other side talking, there's a pretty good chance they're going to outline the deal for you. Yeah. And then when whenever they say something you like, you go like, wow, it's brilliant. 
when in fact you just waited for them to suggest your idea. So there's so many advantages to hearing the other side out first. It also makes sure that you're on the right track. You know, you got a, a set of um, uh, presumptions. You know, I, I hate the word assumption, and I can't remember what the term that Mark Cuban used when I was talking to him a few weeks ago on Fireside. But it was a different word, which meant he he's always testing his understanding. You know, he does an analysis before he gets into a deal. He makes some emotionally intelligent, intelligent, emotionally educated guesses. But then he's constantly testing the other side uh, to make sure that he's not his anal uh, analysis isn't wrong. And how do you test the other side? They got to talk. You got to you got to prompt them into talking and give you the data. So, you know, the short answer is let the other side go first. You know, let, let them lay some stuff out. You, you may find some stuff that you love um, that it, there's an emotional advantage for you to agree to versus you proposing. Cool. Hey Chris, let me ask you this. How important is it to write down these questions or at least practice? Because I know most people yeah. in the audience are like, oh, I can't I can't come up with this question right off the bat. Like they feel they get stuck in a moment. How would you handle that or how important is practicing and writing the questions down? Yeah, no, I, I love that question, man. Uh, not, not, it's extremely important. And, you know, to take it one step further, it's better mental exercise to handwrite than it is to type. Your yeah. brain is engaged in a completely different way via handwriting. You're more focused, you're more creative. And yeah, hand, handwriting, even if you don't, even we're if taking you don't keep plenty your notes, of notes right now. Yeah, you, you don't even got to keep your notes. Like yeah. at one point in time, I ended up with so many notes. I'm like, ah, you know, what am I supposed to do with all this? And then I realized the mere fact that I hand wrote it in the first place increased the likelihood that I could uh, replicate the thinking in the moment. Right. So, you know, the, the type of stuff you're talking about, think through a couple of scenarios, write down a couple of responses to get the other side talking, you know, something called we call a label. Sounds like that's important to you. Sounds like you put a lot of thought into that. It sounds like you've been thinking about this for a long time. You know, you handwrite those, then the chances that they'll spontaneously come out of your mouth in a, in a moment are, are much higher. Love it. So if, if the first one is seek first to understand, right? Let them speak first. What's two? All right. Uh, so then um, uh, you got to, then, then you got to confirm your understanding. You got to make them feel understood. Mm-hmm. Like you understanding is step one in route to making somebody feel understood. Uh, you know, my, my son, Brandon, he just came up with this uh, off the top of his head a couple of days ago. It's not a sin to get it wrong. It is a sin to not make them feel understood, which means as you're trying to demonstrate say, okay, that well, you're understanding. On, Chris, Chris yeah, that say, was say that one again. Say that, <laughs> that was cool. It's not a sin to get it wrong. Mm -hmm. It is a sin to not make them feel understood. Yeah. So, you, you know, your, your, your first understanding is you're going to feed it back with some errors. That's not a sin. And people hate getting stuff wrong, which is one of the biggest reasons that they're afraid to articulate what they think the other person is hearing. Because... Oh, if I'm wrong, they're going to think I'm stupid. 
or if they openly correct me in front of others, that's humiliating. It'd be embarrassing. You know, you know the phrase, it's not about you, uh, the right. cliche. So when you get corrected, you feel humiliated. You know, uh, people, people would literally, the phrase, I died of embarrassment. That's how yeah. bad embarrassment is. We'd right. rather die. Yeah. But if it's not about you, when the other side corrects you, what do they feel? They feel elevated. They have this higher status and they don't realize that it was you that conferred the higher status. That's why there's so much power and deference. When you give someone a higher status via deference, you are the person who conferred that esteem to them. And that's why in, in, in so many cases, you know, just, uh, you know, um, um, uh, shameless flattery we hate it when we see it being done to somebody else, but we love it when it's being done. We love it when it happens to us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because it's just. So should you, Chris, confers. should you repeat? Should you repeat what you just heard from them? Yeah. Or what you thought you heard. Yeah. You don't, you don't, have, you you don't have to that. be wrong. Yeah. Right. Or it sounds like you're saying X. Yeah. Or you, you, just, you just paraphrase it a little bit. You know, as much as you can to try to synopsize what they just said, and one of two things is going to happen, which are both in your favor. You hit the bullseye and you trigger a release of oxytocin, which is the bonding drug and which is cool because now you're beginning to build a client relationship that you want. Or they correct you and you trigger the release of serotonin, which is a confidence drug, mm -hmm. which is feels phenomenal in the moment in, in a different way. And now you're building a, a, a client relationship with them because they don't know, it, but they felt so good in the interaction that they wanted to continue. We could probably stop. We could probably just stop right here, Jeff, but let's keep going. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. But let's, but I want to get to, I was digging through uh, a bunch of my archives and in there, I find Chris, uh, one of my early mentors, Brian Tracy, the, you know, the 21 closes to get the yes. And it's the standard yes set close that I felt like that was like, just that's how I was raised as a salesperson. Get the yes, get the yes, get the yes, get the yes. Are you wearing a shirt? Yes. Are you wearing a microphone? Yes. We should do this together. Yes. Right. Like that, that silly pattern. And, and the first time I heard you, you talked about, it's not about the yes, it's about the no. I have used that nonstop sense. Can you, can you educate the listener that doesn't know what I'm really talking about here? Like give them a little backstory and, and then share the four questions that you want to get the no. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I think there was probably a point in time when the yes momentum, a yesable proposition, right? There was probably a point in time when that was a good idea. Yeah. And then it became so effective that people were using it for everything. And then unfortunately, then also people that we can't trust learn to use it to negotiate, you know, all kind of bad deals. There are industries out there that are just freaking famous for just exploiting people to the point of financial ruin. Right. So then the problem is it's been used so much and so globally that people are yes battered. Like everybody over the age of 19 years old has been bamboozled by the yes momentum, you know, uh, momentum selling. 
Yeah. Because it was so taught so pervasively, and it was at one point in time, was, I'm willing to concede, there was probably a point in time when it was effective. But now when people are, yes, battered, they don't know what it is, but they got a gun instinct memory in their bones that they've got bamboozled. You know, the what's the phrase? Once you're bitten by a snake, you're afraid of ropes. Right. <laughs> like you're afraid of everything that even comes close to resembling it. So you as a real estate agent, you as a business person, you as a trusted colleague even, the minute you start trying to get people to say yes, they it triggers an overdose from the person that hurt them. Even if they like you, even if they know you, you can't get past the fact that they're yes battered. You know, a, a grown up tries to give a hug to a battered child. Yeah. Because you know that hugs, they're actually something people are healthier if they get hugged regularly. You're actually healthy. Correct. But you try to hug a battered child, they're going to flinch because the last adult that tried to hug them beat them. So your intention is not good enough here. And it's so bad that we've just found like, look, you got to get out of yes entirely. And as simple as it is, as ridiculous as it is, all you got to do is change your yes-oriented question to a no-oriented question. Are you against? Is it ridiculous? Yeah. Does it seem like a bad idea? Do you disagree? Would it be unreasonable? Like Would it be unreasonable? Right. And the trigger of the no, because while people have been conditioned that yes is a trap, they've also been conditioned that every time they say no, they protect themselves. Like again, I'll refer to my son, uh, Brandon, who's a genius negotiator. When he was 17 and it was dead, can I? And I'd say no before he even finished the sentence. But I look back on it and I realized that having said no and I felt protected, I was then more willing to listen. And I would almost invariably turn around with, all right, so what was it that you wanted? Now, having said no, I feel protected and now right. I'm more open-minded. Now let process it. Right. But, but Chris, would it be unreasonable for you to tell the story about how you almost killed Jack Welch? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why no? Somehow I feel compelled to say no. I don't know what it is. Something mystical and magical just came over me because I said no. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, um, I'm in L.A. a number of years ago. I'm still teaching at USC, University of Southern California. And uh, Jack Welch, a book signing in L.A., you know, I'm going through the long line of people signing the books. And so what does that mean? By the time you get up to Jack, they're doing everything they can do to keep you from talking to them. Because they got uh, they got 300 people to get through the line. You stay right. in there and chat for five minutes, everybody's there for six hours. So there's a million reasons why they don't want you talking to Jack. And I'm going to pitch Jack. And I know I've got the opportunity to say one thing, period, period. I can't even introduce myself. I can't even, I can't do anything. I got, I got time for one sentence. So, you know, I know the magic of getting a no. So I walk up to him. I look him in the eye and I go, is it a ridiculous idea for you to come and speak at the negotiation course that I teach at USC? And, and he, 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 first he looks at me and he kind of gets a little bit of a scowl. Then he looks up and to the left and he just gets this hideous scowl on his face. He just freezes. And, I, and this was several years ago. Jack Welch, God, God rest his soul. All my experience with him, genuine, decent human being. 
um, and he freezes and he looks furious and then he doesn't move. And my first thought is he, he's so angry. He had a stroke and he died. He's going to fall over dead right in front of me because <laughs> he doesn't move. And then, you know, then I think, all right, so he's not dead, but he's furious. And he's going to have him throw me out. But then after what seemed like an eternity, he looks back at me and he says, this is my personal assistant's name. This is a special Twitter account we have set up to communicate with her. I will call her and tell her who you are, what you want. I think we're going to be in Los Angeles in the fall. If we are, we'll come in and speak to your class. So not only did he process it, no, but he thought through the next four or five steps for implementation. And it was done. Boom. It it went that quickly. So, so I was watching, I was watching your reading. I forget which one it was. First of all, thank you for telling that story because I, I probably listened to it three times and every time I listened to it, I could, cause I you could see Jack's face just like right in that moment. And probably his wife next to him, like you're killing my husband. What the hell is going on here? Um, it's a great example though. So, so many of our clients deal with these situations where they need to ask a better question, right? Something that no one else is asking. Everybody's saying like, Hey, would you like to know the new value of your house? Everybody's saying, Hey, if I can get you a price, would you be willing to X, right? Like everybody's doing that over and over again. And if you're out there and you're listening, you're doing that and you're getting terrific results, just fast forward on this, this audio message. Otherwise, listen up. You, you once said, I, I want to say there was like four different openings. I think it was to the no question. We, you know, is it ridiculous? Would it be unreasonable? Is that the pattern or were there four specific questions? Well, you know, I, I, I think there's, there's probably about three or four, um, you know, if I may, I'll put in an ad for our YouTube channel. Cause I, I know I've got a video up, uh, the top four, no oriented questions. That's what it was. Where yeah. I, where I, I kind of walked through it and, and what they are and what's behind them. And, and the other thing to do also is if you just write down, are you against, yeah. you disagree, would it be ridiculous? And then you, you, while you're writing, you're going to think, well, could I say it this way? As long as you're intentionally attempting to trigger a no, yes, you will begin to figure out other great ways of putting it. Now, some of them are context-driven. You know, one of the key ones, which is for restarting conversations with people who have stopped talking with you is have you given up on working with me? Love have you given one. up on Love X, Y, or Z? Now we find like the, not only will the other person respond, but in a ridiculously short period of time, like that has the highest compliance rate of anything and quick. Like as, as a general rule, like when I send that questions, if I'm sending a text, which I, and I know that they're going to see a text right away. Hey, you know, have you given up on the project with the black swan group? I'm going to sit there and wait because they're going to answer within three to five minutes. Now context situation drive strategy. If this is your opening line, then that question is probably out of context. Good point. Right. And, that's a great way for 
that great question to now create dissonance in me and erode trust. So when I get an opening email, and I know how effective this email is, like, have you given up on taking me on as an intern? Or have you given up on yeah. looking at my website? When I've never gone with these people, and I have never started, I either delete that email, right. or occasionally, I'll respond because I suspect that it's somebody I can't trust. And they will let me know in their very next response, they'll confirm to me that I can't trust them, that they're trying to take advantage of me. Yeah. And that one is so effective that the people that you can't trust have been picked up, have picked up on it. And, and they're, they're looking for mechanisms, not because they're trying to work with you. They're looking for the hacks to take you to the cleaners. So if you get that question out of context, Wait a minute! I never cool. started with you. How how could I how could I you, have right? given up? Yeah. It's a bad sign. Yeah, Chris, I'm sitting there thinking, you ever mess with cold callers when they call you? <laughs> could you imagine calling Chris as a cold call? <laughs> I will. You know, I will tell you. Everybody on my team, when we get hit with a bad cold calling script, right? We'll take a tr if we got time on our hands. You know, I realize that some poor schmucks probably just starting out. It's a tough job. You know, right. they're, just, they're just doing what the boss told them to do. We'll try to correct them. You know, I'll jump in and we'll be looking to give a short tutorial. This is, like, a, this you is could, your lucky day. You're going to get yeah, educated. You know, we, you know, we could tell that, you know, you could tell from the tone of voice. Whereas some kids starting out, somebody trying to make a house payment, somebody in a bad place, and they were just taking whatever work they could get. Right. So I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going to give this, I'm going to give this guy, I'm going to give this gal, I'm going to give him a break. They probably won't hear me now, but I'm going to say something that, that'll get them to reflect back. So if they're learners, when they move on, then they can get better. It's so funny you say that. I'm shout out to Hanan Levine, if you're listening right now from Orange County, California, who get this, Chris, he cold calls me at my house. He's working for some silly company. I don't know. It was not in the real estate business. And he was so smooth, so authentic, so humble that I was like, tell me more. Like, what? what? And then I, I remember like five minutes into the conversation, literally five minutes in a cold call. I'm a busy guy. And I'm like, this guy is so good. I'm like, where do you work? Like, he's like, he's like, you know, I told you the company. I said, no, no, no. Where do you live? He's like, oh, I'm in like Fullerton. I'm like, listen to me. I don't know what you get paid but I'm willing to bet I would pay you more. I recruited the guy. He worked for me for five years, crushed it with me, then went into real estate and killed it. So I love that. I love that you would actually take the time. I know everybody's busy, but if you actually took the time to help that person, like that just, that makes my heart sing. Yeah, you know, and, and the word that you used to describe him, which I'm sure was one of the main reasons why you went on, you said the guy was authentic. Yeah. Authentic. Yeah. Yeah. And he was, you know, European accent, European, like, so, so he didn't come across, like, I know a lot of euros that, you know, Germans, Austrians, eh, 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 right? Like super intense. And he is, but he was just like, I'm just, you know, letting you know, I'm calling people in your area and I'm not telling you that everybody is signing up for it. I'm just letting you know if this is something you'd be interested in. It was like, and that wasn't even the script, but it was so, it was just so genuine, right? It didn't sound salesy at all, which is why I was so engaged with the guy. But let's, 
Hey, it's Tom Ferry. Question, what's your favorite social media platform? Are you big on Insta? Do you love to tweet? No matter where you answer, I'd love for you to connect with me there. All you gotta do is just type in at Tom Ferry and follow and let's you and I connect. I wanna be able to deliver the right content, the right ideas, the ways to help you grow your business, stay fired up, keep moving, be in action and run plays that work and the platform that matters most to you. So subscribe and I'll see you there soon. Let's go a different direction. I want to make sure. So other side speaks first. Then you gave some really cool insights around like labels. Like sounds like you're saying this, like really having people know that you're listening, that you're really listening. You're validating that, um, you know, validation of listing. And then obviously, you know, getting to the know, like all of that is great. I want, I want them to hear the that's right. The whole strategy around getting to that's right. And I know as, as a hostage negotiator that every story I heard you talk about was brilliant. Can you put it into a scenario for business? Yeah, well, and that's getting back into checking out your understanding of what they heard. And then, then you really trying to, you, you ask yourself, right, so what's the subtle unexpressed want here? Mm -hmm. And if in your summary of where they've come from, if you can find, you know, the hidden unexpressed want and nail it, mm -hmm. you know, that, then, then that, that, that's the oxytocin moment. That's the, that's right moment. Yeah. It's, a, you know, you're triggering an epiphany about themselves and oxytocin is a bonding drug. Mm -hmm. And when you trigger that, then, I mean, the feeling on their side is it's, the enlightenment, it feels phenomenal. And they bond with you. You know, a couple of years ago, I'm in a conversation. I'm struggling with something. You know, I, I get uh, senior executives in my team were getting coached by <clears throat> strategic coach, Dan Sullivan, mm -hmm. outfit out of Toronto. We're a big believer in these guys. So I'm at, at one of the gatherings. We're sitting around, you know, in a bar with some of the people in, in the community that night. And I'm struggling with something. I'm talking through it. And, and I could tell from the interaction, you know, they're listening and, you know, she's going to get a that's right out of me. And I, and I, I, I like to step back and say, all right, I'm getting ready to hit this moment. What's this going to feel like? And literally the minute when she triggered this insight to me and I said, that's right. I mean, I got a great hit of something, you know, right. I just felt really good in the moment. I mean, it, it was great. I will be appreciative of that moment till the day I die. Which is what you're, you know, that's how you build a great client relationship. Yes. Right. You know, then, then you you put yourself in a position. Now you're the trusted advisor. You start, tr you trigger that's rights out of people. That's exactly it. What you just said, trust. You're looking for trust-based influence. Yeah. Which once triggered, the durability of that is, you know, it's like a blood oath. It just sticks. Yeah. So, Chris, do you think deep down? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Do you think deep down that people want to trust people or are right. they hesitantly not trusted? Well, they're hesitant to trust because they've been stung. Or, you know, they're used to people that will look out for them only as long as it's in their best interest. Best interest, right. So, I think by definition, the blank slate that we are when we're born, you know, we're trusting. I mean, what what's the first year of our life experience taught us 
probably that we could trust everybody that picked us up. <laughs> right. So, you know, you didn't get dropped 50 times the first year right. of your life. <laughs> but then after that, you know, somewhere along the line, and in point of fact, we can, you know, my, my guess is rough data. You could blindly trust 70% of the people that you interact with. Mm-hmm. Now in Las Vegas, a 70% win rate <laughs> will, will make you a lot of money. That's right. But as human beings, even though it's a minority that we can't trust, again, once bitten by a snake, you're scared of ropes. Right. Once you get betrayed a couple of times, it flips you into the other side where you're afraid to trust. I was actually going, Jeff, a different direction. I was thinking about the ability to, to really listen to someone and to hear all the things that matter most to them. Back to your question on, you know, do you role play? Do you practice? Like, do you take the time to write down the questions? Or are you thoughtful about this? And I think we've all seen this in a, in a live sales interaction, the person that is waiting to say something, but not really listening versus the person that, do you know what I mean, Chris? Like they're just like, they, they can't help themselves. Right. Like they, oh, I heard a little bit. I'm going to go with that. Close, 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 close. Versus, so let's just recap. What I hear you guys saying is you want to move, but you understand the market's hot. You also understand that you've been out looking for properties and there's nothing that really caught your eye, but you're clearly, you know, babies are coming, whatever, whatever the life situation, like you're recapping all of it. And they're like, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. You heard me like that. Just that if people would slow down conversion or client success or whatever you aim for, I think all of it's going to go up. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I love it. And, and, and maybe listening for the hidden underlying meeting. Yeah. Like if they're talking to a real estate agent, look, they've been on, and I, I haven't even kept track of all the websites now where sell your own home, don't use a real estate agent. You can handle right. it without an agent. And when people see those ads, they think this looks a little bit too good to be true. Good to be true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, there's got to be a hidden catch. So when you summarize all the things, Tom, that you just said, then you could throw in, and you've probably got a nagging feeling here that there's more to this than meets the eye. You're probably afraid <laughs> that there are tripwires here yeah. that Zillow and Web, Webfin or yeah. whoever else is out there are just not telling you. And you got a, you know, you got a nagging feeling that you need a professional to keep from going down in flames. Where do I stop after you say <laughs> no, that? What's going what's going through my mind is Jeff, I was actually thinking like it's unfair. Like if you can have the Clint Eastwood squint <laughs> while you're saying all of this. Right or wrong for my team watching was like I was like, I, I know it's Chris Voss. Am I suddenly interviewing Clint Eastwood? Like, right? I know what you're saying here, right? Like know what you're feeling. <laughs> I, I feel you. All right, let's you know, go. And, let's... And, and, and I got to tell you a funny story. I mean, in previous life as an FBI agent, working at a terrorism case in New York, and we got a couple of witnesses from Algeria, great guys. And we're trying to look for a place to, a safe place to hide them. And the first place we took to fell through at the last minute. So me and my partner, 
uh, NYPD detective were driving us sitting in a back seat. And my partner goes like, you know, I, what are we going to do? I don't know. I, we, we, we're going to put these guys someplace safe now. No questions asked. And I looked at him and said, all right, I got a place. Just give me about 12 hours. And uh, my Algerian, our Algerian witnesses in the back, they start going back, 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 talk, back, talk, talk, talk. And then they go Clint Eastwood. And then they start laughing. <laughs> and and it, I'm, I'm too thick. And so I looked at, I looked at my partner, the detective, and I go, yeah, what are they laughing at? And they go, they, they just called you Clint Eastwood. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh. I knew it had, it, it couldn't have been the first time. All right. <laughs> Rapid fire. So Jeff, I'm just going to hit him with a bunch of things from our clients. Uh, so, so Chris, people wanted to role play with you. So here it is. Scott Pridemore says, how would you best negotiate with an agent? You're trying to get to recruit your team. You're trying to get them to join your team. And they say, Chris, I'd love to join you, but I got deals closing in December and January. So it's not a good time for me to switch companies at this point. Like I'm in, but I need time. Um, sounds like you're ambivalent. <laughs> I would go, I need a dictionary. What is ambivalent? Let me think about it. Like, you just confused me. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, no, yeah, or I just, Chris, I have, you know, I'm afraid if I, if I move, I could lose 30% of every one of my closings. So I'd be giving up like a third of each of these transactions, my income. Yeah. That, 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 that potential, that short-term loss really stings. Also sounds like you're worried about long-term. If you're only if you're only listening to this and you're not seeing the facial expression, right. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get Clint out of my head now. Okay, I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep going. You ready? Uh, let's see. Buyer fatigue is real. Per Renee Funk in Orlando, Florida, what are the best strategies, Chris, to maintain to maintain trust and engagement through a longer than normal sales cycle, where the buyer is losing? right? Getting frustrated because they're not finding the one, or if they do, they write an offer and they lose to another client. How do I keep that person engaged and keep that trust going? All right. So uh, take the word trust out, put in predictability. Love and it. here's something that agents do inadvertently all the time. Your interactions with them are completely unpredictable because you only want to talk to them when you got good news. When do you or they know when you're going to have good news? You don't. So communicate with your clients on a predictable schedule. And then here's the other part that's even harder. Well, what if I don't have any good news for them? Well, the, the mere fact that you're calling them and say, hey, just, just call and let you know there's nothing new. That's tremendously reassuring. You become eminently predictable. And since in an uncertain market, you then become the one predictable thing in the market. Now, anxiety, one of the definitions of traumatic stress is uh, overwhelming stress that's unrelenting. What is unrelenting? It, you don't know when it's going to be over. It's uncertain. Right. Just keep going. And the real estate market is uncertain. Mm -hmm. So you become the certainty. Yeah. Communication with you becomes a certainty. Then this, this whole trust factor 
becomes built consistently because they're sitting there like, I don't know, I'm, I, I don't know when we're going to find a buyer. God, when are we going to find a buyer? But I do know that I'm going to speak to my agent Wednesday at 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. So I can calm down knowing that Wednesday at 10 a.m. I'm going to speak to my agent. Even if there's nothing new, I'm, I know that if there's nothing new, right. it's actually a piece of information. And right. it makes me feel like my agent is working, even though as an agent, they, of course, they should know we're working. You know, if I don't get back to them, I'm still working. Eh, they don't know. They don't know that. They're humans. Yeah. So let's like certification. With- yeah. So I'm all right, sorry me- I interrupted you. I'm going to hit you with another one. So, uh, so Chris, we're, you know, you're the listing agent and I'm the seller. Uh, we really like what you have to say. And we believe that you love our house just as much as we do. And we really want to give you the listing. We're just not comfortable with your fees. I mean, there's other agents that would do it at 1% and you're asking for like two and a half percent to you. Would you want somebody who can't stand up for themselves try to stand up for you? You know, I thought, I mean, I hear you and my mother just sold her house and she said, honey, I, I, used, you know, your aunt Sally. And we know that she couldn't sell her way out of a paper bag on fire. And she, we had like 15 offers on the house. I'm just, I just, I like you. I just think that you're going to, you're going to do a little marketing and it's going to sell real quick. Cause that's just the market we're in. It just two and a half percent just doesn't feel justifiable. That sounds like you'd be better off going with aunt Sally. <laughs> Because, you know, all right, so one of two things is happening here. Yep. They're going to go with Aunt Sally anyway. They just want to make sure that you're doing everything that she's going to do. And so they're pumping you for information, free consulting, if you will. Or the other thing, which is definitely uh, unconscious, unspoken thing, like in this interaction, you're auditioning as their ambassador. Mm Mm-hmm. And they want their ambassador to not give in and be very polite. They want the agent to be someone that absolutely holds their ground in a really polite and deferential way. And if you can't hold your ground for yourself, you ain't going to hold it for them. Them. You're going to throw them under the bus. You know, how much other data do they have? about people that have been shoved into deals by agents and they have nothing but a bad feeling over it. Right. When they felt like the agent could have done a better job, but the agent gave in in the process. All right. Hey Tom, I got one. Go. I got one. Go. Uh, Our good friend, Devin Tryon out in Hawaii, he asked how, like, you know, the negotiating with other agents is, when you get another agent that's not really playing nice, uh, whether they're unfriendly or just not a productive agent, how do we how do we turn them into a, a foe to a friend? How do we create uh, an adversary and make them uh, this a better relationship? How do we convince them to do better? Yeah, there's some, um, uh, you know, different. Uh, this is called boundary setting in a black swan method. I mean, there's a couple different ways to handle it. My, my first question is, if they're not 
um, easy to get along with when they when they act out like that. You know, my question is going to be to them like, what kind of relationship are you trying to establish with me long term? How how are we going to work together another transition transaction after this? Right. You know how how do we get how do we work our way through this together so that we don't hate each other when this is all over? You know the shift it's a it's you're shifting the other side's thinking. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. a lot of people have gotten very adversarial short term because the short term successes are tangible they can feel them they can see them yeah but they don't have a real instinct for the long-term damage they're not thinking long term that's right so you you're wanting them to shift you're not asking them to compromise their position you're not asking them to compromise their principles but you want to shift their thinking into the bigger part picture which normally you'd want to say hey look bozo we're both in the same community the more you are a jerk (laughs) The less I'm going to work with you and I'm going to tell everybody in the community what kind of a jerk you are. But you can't say that to somebody. No. Right. But you want to trigger that thinking. You know, you want to trigger the fact that, look, we, if we're, we're in all communities are small communities. So either we're going to work together again or people that like me are going to work with you and they're going to like you if they know I don't like you. Yeah. But you have to gently shift people's thinking out of short term into long term. Love it. So Chris, back to the opening of this podcast when I said pressure, 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 pressure. One of the big pressures that everyone listening experiences, they're representing this this wonderful individual or couple that wants to buy a house, right? And and it's exciting. We want to buy a house and we always oh, saw this property online and let's go take a look at it. Oh, it's brand new. Yes, let's write an offer. Maybe even sight unseen. All that is fun until you're now competing against five other offers, 10 other offers, 15 other offers, 50 other offers, not not kidding on that number, right? How would you recommend an agent who's representing the buyer pre-frames their message to the listing agent and ultimately to the seller to just get noticed, to maybe move up to the top of the list? I think any sellers or buyer's agent that is not sending in a letter describing the buyer's vision for the home is leaving money on the table. Like I, I am unwilling to leave past any edge by because each edge accumulates. And I know that there are sellers who have sold to buyers because they felt they knew them as people and turned down higher offers. Now, how often does that happen? How often does it have to happen? Right. All I know is I'm looking to increase my odds every step of the way instead of being lazy and going like, ah, I don't, you know, let's say that works one in 10 times. I ain't doing it at all. Well, that means you left one in 10 transactions, one in 10 commissions you should have got that you didn't get. Yes. And then the flip side is what happens if you don't do that? Your contract is nothing other than a black and white piece of paper. There's no personality to it. You are a number only. You might as well have not even put in your your client's name. You might as well have put in a number. 
because they are not humanized in any way. They are only a number, and it is real easy to discard you if you are only a number. Yes. You are asking to be left out if you're only a number. Now, there's probably an almost boilerplate letter that every agent could come up on behalf of every buyer, so it's kind of fill in the blank. So I want to say, I want to say though, Chris, really fast, everyone listening, at least in the U.S., there is a fair housing rule that says you can't write, it's like against, it's against the rules to write a letter that says, let me tell you about my client, Tom and Kathy. They've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old and they desperately want to be in this school area. Like agents are not allowed to do this. But the way I heard you just for the person listening, who's like right now flaring up, oh my God, fair housing, you can't do that. The way I heard you describe it was a letter for a vision for the home for the buyers. And I, I, I already want to call legal to say, is that okay? Like, can you, without, without bringing in the personal details of the family and, and Jeff, I'm looking to you and I already know there's like five people I want to call right now just to say, but, but maybe Chris, obviously, you know, this is a very small, narrow little rule that was created about a year and a half ago in real estate. So like, it just is what it is, but talk about the vision for the house. Like, give us an example. You know, uh, uh, my clients want to have, have the same memories of joy and laughter that you've had. Yeah. There's you know, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You haven't, you haven't revealed the name, family demographics. No. Right. Yeah. And, and that, and, and th those are the subtle differences, you know, yeah. they're, they're looking for a, a place to raise a family and, and have the immortal, same immortal moments in this home that you had. They're not looking for a house. They're looking for a home. Yeah. Yeah. Even Jeff, just thinking about it, just even that. And then what about if you had a chance to talk to the listing agent who ultimately is going to present five offers, seven offers, 10 offers, but there's something about likability and, and, you know, I'm, I'm speaking like the unwritten rule, like you can't say that, but no, there's a likability of, you know, you know, Hey, all these offers the same. I know this agent, this agent's a good agent. Well, what advice do you have? And again, not knowing all the rules and I won't bore you with all those details, but just what advice do you have for someone that just, I'm calling that listing agent. I'm sending him an email. I'm sending him a text, letting him know I'm presenting an offer and I'm just trying to create an edge. Yeah, exactly right. And you, and you're allowed to create take every edge you could get mm -hmm. because they will accumulate and uh, draw a fine point here. There's a difference between being likable and needing to be liked. Yeah. If you need to be liked, you've been taken hostage by the other side. You got complete control over whether or not you're likable. You know, do you, uh, are you, do you communicate at reasonable hours? Um, are you deferential? Um, do you realize that emails have tone and the fact that if you don't put something in to soften the tone or to warm it up in any way, shape or form, it's going to come across as cold. Right. Like I'm a direct and honest person. You know, I tend to write uh, abbreviated emails if I don't watch myself. Succinct answers. Succinct I don't answers. see you doing a bunch of emojis. <laughs> No, no, no. You know, they come across as cool. <laughs> You're not and shouting. Guy. Yeah. Right. You know, so I'm just I'm just cautious that, you know, say things communicate in a kind way, you know, in a gentle way. Mm -hmm. And then you begin to to add the edges that you need. Because right. you know what you really need 
is it possible find out from from the selling the listing agent you know what really matters bingo and it may just be the highest price mm -hmm. but at least knowing that you're smarter when you go from no wondering to knowing every time you go from wondering to knowing it increases your ability to get a deal done bingo bingo that's a a typical question chris that we would ask our clients to say is if you get a hold of the selling agent to just find out what's most important to the seller and we might even say beyond beyond price or is it just price and then if it's if it's price then you can write escalation clauses that says you know highest bid plus x right and you know some states don't allow it most states do like that's another way of doing it but i think at the end of the day it is that like that edge that extra edge so i got two more and i and I the market's cooling i mean like a neighborhood i'm in 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 uh, uh you know i'm in i live in the las vegas area yeah for the first time in a year i'm seeing open house signs pop up in a neighborhood yeah right like even even four months ago Nobody put up an open house sign because they didn't have to hold an open house because as soon as they mm -hmm. listed the house, there were 15 people standing outside. Mm -hmm. Now, it, open house signs are, that are starting to pop up is an indicator to me that things are starting to slow down. Otherwise, people wouldn't be doing it. I'm, I'm going to send you my podcast called This Week in Housing. We have the data that actually says the opposite, but your timing is perfect. Because the two last questions were basically the same thing. You ready? Tom Tool says from Philly, you know, I know, Chris, you've never heard this before, but the buyer told their agent, you know, we just want to wait. We, we, we need to think it over. But I want to combine it with Nazar, who also said, we've decided to wait for home prices to drop. So really, it's the wait. So how do you, how would you help that person work through the client that's saying, we want to wait for prices to drop? Or we just want to wait. We need to think it over. Well, first of all, I really need to understand where the reluctance is. And I, and I got to tease it out to them. It could be a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. They might not trust you. Um, their own personal conditions might have changed. Mm -hmm. uh, there, it could be four, five, six reasons for waiting. We got we got to hone in on what those are. And the quickest way to get an answer out of them is sounds like you've got a good reason for waiting. Now they want to share why they're waiting as long as they don't feel like they're going to get argued with. Yep. You know, people want to tell you where they're coming from. They just don't want to be argued with. They don't want to be told why it's wrong. So if you say, sounds like you have a good reason is already an indicator that you're not going to slap them down. Plus if they got a reason for waiting, they think it's a good reason. So you're most likely, and again, this is all about best chance of success, not guarantees of success, but what are your best chances of success? I, I got to know what's going on here because I got to know how do I invest my time with this client as we move forward? Am I wasting my time? Or is there some, do they trust me? They just generally want to, they really want to wait. They're scared. Sounds like you're afraid that you're going to leave a lot of money on the table. Sounds like you don't have a place to go. Sounds like you're, it's really easy for you to stay where you are. You know, what kind of, what kind of pressures are they under? You got, you got to, you got to tease it out, find out for sure what it is before you can navigate it. Right. Right. So give me again the, 
the phrase you used to kind of pull it out. Sounds, Sounds like, like you something... got a good reason for waiting. Yeah. Then they're going to tell you the reason. Then you can work. You can talk it through. They're much more. They're most likely. You you need the the you need a genuine real reason. Now they could make something up. Anybody yeah. can lie in the spur of the moment, or they can duck. Ah, you know, it's just ah, eh, you know, it just it's just a feeling I have. Yeah. You really want to know what the reason is, and so sounds like you got a good reason. Is the best chance of success for getting at the core issue the fastest? It's so interesting, Chris, when I think about, you know, the last podcast, this podcast, uh, all of your content, I always go back to the same thing. We always and forever are in a skills market. Whoever has the skills, right? Whoever knows the questions to ask, whoever has tactical empathy, which we didn't get to talk about, and so many of the other things that that we all believe in. So what's the, is, is the listeners sitting here and they're, they're you know, listen to this two or three times. If there was just a message or two that you want to share with the real estate industry to just encourage, remind, cajole, to get them just to get better. What would you say? Yeah, you know, start start weaving this stuff into your daily conversations, either small stakes or no stakes. Because um, as you said, skills, and these are perishable skills, but also the more you practice, then the better you get. So, and you, you're not, you're not going to trot any of these black swan skills out like in the midst of a deal where, where there's really high commission at stake for the first time. Mm -hmm. But if you've been practicing with the Lyft driver, with the person at the checkout counter, person at Starbucks, you know, there's, there's all sorts of people you can get small stakes practicing on a regular basis that suddenly you're so comfortable that you will trot it out in the Super Bowl, in a championship, when there's so much at stake because you've been practicing small stakes. So get your small stakes practicing and have fun doing it. You know, be delighted by it and be willing to be wrong. Right? Director of Business Development in our company, David Johnson, learned Spanish 10 times faster than anybody else did. Because the person that told her said, you you know, you're going to have to make about 10,000 mistakes to get conversational. It's probably going to take you about 18 months. And she was like, oh, like every time I make a mistake, I'm putting points on a board. I'll make them sooner. She was fluent right. in 10 weeks. Wow. wow. That, that is impressive. But that is, again, there's almost an enormous uh, can of worms we just opened up there, which People don't want to fail. They don't want to make mistakes. They don't even want to make the little mistakes. It 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 dents how they feel about themselves, Chris. You're you're asking me to fail a lot. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then but then what's the failure represent? A learning accelerator or a defeat? Yeah. How are you reinterpreting that in your brain? Yeah. And there's the reframe. Okay, so last question. Looking behind you, there's a lot of books. One that I think I might have single-handedly bought 5,000 copies and just given them out to everybody, including my commercial broker who was in before uh, we did this podcast. What are your five favorite books behind you? Um, all right, so... Uh, the pressure's on because we both know a lot of authors. <laughs> all right, yeah, well, I mean, one, one of our guys wrote a book, The Ego Authority Failure About Leadership, and it's applying tactical empathy to leadership. 
And we've had a number of our clients say, Derek's take on tactical empathy, which is different from yours, really finally closed the loop on my understanding. Mm -hmm. So it's coming at the same thing um, from a different direction. And ideally, anybody in real estate, you're going to be leading a team at some point in time. You know, that's how you get ahead. You want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, go as a team. Right. So Derek's book and Eagle Authority Failure is good. I, li I like um, uh, The Talent Code by Daniel Coyle. Yeah. Which is really about all, all the learning mechanisms. And Coyle says there, there's no, no such thing as somebody naturally gifted. They just got interested before anybody else noticed. And they got in their hours before anybody else saw that they were. It's a good book on learning. Great Stephen Kotler's book, The Rise of Superman, is also great about human performance. Yeah. Um, and, and I, and I love, I love Stephen's book and, and a podcast, if I may, that I listen to all the time, Andrew Huberman, Huberman labs, um, the Huberman lab podcast, he's got the most up-to-date science on all aspects of human performance. Nice. And I, I'm listening to his stuff constantly and, Sometimes you got to read. Sometimes you got you need to listen. I mean, you're feeding your brain a bunch of different ways. And I'm I'm a huge fan of his. Huge fan of Andrew Huberman. Outstanding. Thank you for that. Well, Chris, I hope that we get to see each other at a live event sometime in 2022. I know my team's talking to your team. Uh, anything new and exciting coming out next year? You have another book on the way? Yeah, we got we got several things in the works. We got we got new. Uh, we got new blocks of instruction that are coming out that, that are enhancing what we're doing. And, uh, and so, I mean, the best way to keep up is subscribe to the newsletter, which I, right. I think I told you about before, but if, if I may, if it, if it's Please. not, if you're not against go right ahead, you would know, it be unreasonable um, for you to ask. Yeah. Would it be ridiculous? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So if we got a, we got a great text to sign up method, simplest. Yep. If you're in the U S and I'm guessing that the vast majority of your listeners are, and then a lot and, aren't. So do you and, both? And it's, well, I'll give you I'll give you two ways. The text to sign up function, the number you text to is thirty three triple seven. That's three three seven seven seven. Black Swan method, three words, not cap sensitive spaces between the words. You get a you get a text response back asking for your email, which takes you to the website when you subscribe to the newsletter, which is blackswanltd.com. And plus, either way, the newsletter and the website, we got a ton of stuff that's free. Right. And uh, as uh, Huberman's phrase is, at no cost to the consumer, at no cost to you, which doesn't do you any good unless it's actionable and usable. And we make it a point to make all our stuff concise, actionable, and usable. So a lot of stuff, then once you get signed up for the newsletter, um, it also, there are training announcements, new product announcements, not a lot. There's one article to read, read it or not, one announcement, look at it or not, get on, use it or get on with your day. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Short and sweet, man. Just like your emails. <laughs> well, listen. That's right. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, listen, Jeff, thank you for joining in. I know you got a, you popped out a couple questions. Super thank fun. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, Chris. As always, man, just a just a pleasure and a treat. And uh, enjoy your time. And I will see you in 2022, hopefully live on stage together. All right, I everybody. Look forward to it, Tom. Thank you.
Thank you, man. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Take care. Let's get to work. If you want more information about this episode, including my show notes, mentions, links, and everything else, make sure you visit tomferry.com slash podcast. That's tomferry.com slash podcast. Thanks again and talk to you soon.